0: of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the son of man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. Spirit of living God, fall fresh
1: now. And those who are watching us live stream those who are in this worship space and on this preacher in Christ's name we pray amen we conclude our series on the kingdom of God today as it should be with the transfiguration of Jesus because this transfiguration It affirms the reign of Christ as head of the family. And when we speak of the kingdom, we're speaking of more than Calvary United Methodist Church. We are a family here that worships God and commune together in this space. But all over Bloomington Normal, all over Illinois, all over the states, all over the globe, there are Christians who assemble in their family space and worship God. And together we make up the kingdom of God. Several families that come together to do God's will, to use our talents to make the world a better place. But this Sunday is about the identity of the one we follow. Jesus is the firstborn in this new kingdom of God. He is the anointed one, the Christ. And on this day, on that mountain, he is revealed in all of his glory at Mount Hermon as the one whom we shall follow because God loves and is pleased with him. This is a day about faith. Whom do we follow? How do we follow? And do we use everything that God has given us to make the world the kingdom of God? For much of this series, we've celebrated the gifts and the works of the family in the kingdom. But we end the series today by shifting focus from us and what we do with God has given us to Christ and what has been done and is being doing on our behalf. Jesus' transfiguration, my brothers and sisters, uncover what he said. Remember, he said he did not come to abolish the law of the Old Testament. Today, he displays he is the very fulfillment of the law. The law was given as a guideline on how to live as a family and in the larger kingdom of God. But it only had the power to point out our transgressions. It had no power to redeem, no power to give mercy, only justice. But the law of love is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament commands in one. You remember Jesus summed all of the commandments in one. He said, love God and love God's people. And standing there with Jesus is the great lawgiver, Moses, and one of the greatest prophets that ever graced the stage of prophets, Elijah. And seeing this, the disciples now finally get it. He is the living embodiment of what God intended for the law to be. And the disciples wanted to build three monuments because this was now, they wanted to be a sacred place. They wanted to build a monument for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. But even while they were getting the words out of their mouth, a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. And if you build anything, it will be for my son. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you're going to build something, build it dedicated to Jesus, the Christ. And in my lifetime, I've discovered that people love to build great buildings to their gods. Great buildings not only take vision, but they require a lot of human resources. For example, the Taj Mahal, its greatest mausoleum on earth required 20,000 people for its construction. King Solomon built a temple for the Lord and 183,000 plus people took to build that palace. The great pyramids uh, took 76 years to build and required several thousand slaves to make it happen. There is a considerable amount of investment of time and resources at stake, my brothers and sisters, whenever we set out. To build buildings, or to build a ministry, or to build lives. Building a life or a ministry or building takes vision, it takes imagination and resources. We need all of that to make it happen. And family, I've learned that any great work for the Lord requires more than just desire and material and means. It requires Dedicated people. It requires service to God because the road will not be easy. It will always be rocky and challenging. As in it, well, you guys were here when this building was built. <laughs> I guarantee you, it was not easy to work together to get it done. As we build up the kingdom of God, let us never forget to humble ourselves before God, that God may be glorified in all we do because everything we have and everything we are is to be dedicated for the building of his ministry, for the building of his kingdom. In this text, it invites us to a mountaintop experience with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. The four climbed a high mountain and the Lord gave them a preview of the coming eternal kingdom of God, as well as the earthly kingdom of God. This account is in all three synoptic gospels. Matthew details their vision on the mountain, but Mark's account in Mark 9 just adds one verse before Matthew's account that tells what they saw, the coming kingdom of God. In their vision, they saw the coming kingdom of God. They saw people of every walk of life, every race, every creed, every color, Worshipping and believing God, they saw the expansive nature of faith and how it would be extended around God's world. The beauty and magnificence of the scene struck Peter so, so much so he said, it is good that we are here. He then saw Moses and Elijah talking to each other in the clouds. That was amazing. To these men, because Moses had been dead for 1700 years. Elijah vanished from the face of the earth in a fiery chariot over a thousand years earlier. And now, both of them talking together in front of their very eyes. It was a picture of the power of the resurrection that is to come and the life that is promised to us to come. It's what Christ had been promising all the time. It was awe-inspiring and humbling. Peter was so humbled. He quickly said, should I build three tabernacles in honor of this moment? One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. But before he could even get the, the words out of his mouth, the vision was gone. They came down the mountain inspired and renewed, knowing that the work that they were beginning would blossom into a great spiritual enterprise, a vision from God. It's just that inspiring. And I want you to know, my brothers and sisters at Calvary, not Methodist church, God has a vision for Calvary. I want you to know that God has a vision for Calvary that's so great The vision for Calvary cannot be contained by one person or two persons. The vision is so broad that God wants us all to participate in it. God has a vision for the future of this church. God did not give you the resources and the wherewithal and the vision of those who came before you to plant this seed on this hill if God didn't have a vision for your future. And some people, want to stay in the past and talk about what we used to be and talk about what we are not. But God wants us to look at what we are becoming. Because everything that has gotten us to this point now is a part of God's plan to get us to where God wants us to be. God has not left Calvary United Methodist Church without a future with hope and a vision from him that will prosper this congregation. Family, we need to know in our heart of hearts and believe that God has a vision and a plan for Calvary United Methodist Church. We need to catch God's vision because if we don't, people tend to do less work if they don't have the vision of God. If they're trying to do it on their own because it's a good thing to do and they don't have the vision that God has laid forth for this church, they tend to get tired and wearisome and move on. Martin King gave the world his vision of a new world order he saw coming. And my friends, I believe that he knew on that rainy night that he was not going to make it two more days. I believe that even in the face of declaring that he had a dream, he knew that the mountaintop experience would end for him the very next day. But the vision and the dream of God was so powerful Death could not prevent him from orating what God had shown him. See, he saw coming where people would not be judged by the color or race or sex differentials. It motivated him to serve in the face of death because he knew it to be a reality. God showed him a vision where all of God's children, no matter what their background, would be able to come together in love. A part of God's vision for you and I is to use our abilities right here at Calvary and in blooming to Normal to make the world a better place for those who have given up on God. Those who work in the church work best if they are motivated by an empowering vision and a spiritual impetus that says God has A vision and a plan for us and we are a part of it those who have not caught God's vision tend to give up before things even come to where God wants us to be they tend to give up because family members are not the easiest people to work together with sometimes I know just ask my sisters they'll tell you and I'm going to be honest if we're not working to use our gifts, knowing that we are part of the vision that God has for Calvary, people tend to leave the ministry before God's plan becomes a reality before their face. When Peter declared that he wanted to build three tabernacles, Instantly, two of the images that that he wanted to worship when built tabernacles for disappeared. Moses and Elijah vanished quickly. Only Jesus was left with them on the mountain. And my brothers and sisters, if a tabernacle was going to be built, it should not be built for any other purpose than to worshiping Jesus. Friends, that's why we exist as a family here at Calvin. That's why we need the kingdom of God to exist. We have got to begin to teach people to discover and use their gifts in service and worship of Jesus Christ. We are gifted to be used by Jesus. Too many cannot catch the spirit and vision of the future because instead of the vision of the coming of the kingdom of God and all that God has planned for us, they tend to erect shrines to their dreams of the past. They tend to erect shrines to feed the current reality in their hearts and minds. There are those who would erect a tabernacle for the memories Moses because they want to talk about what happened no doubt people when they remembered those great days when Moses led them out of Egypt and they saw the promised land no doubt that was awe-inspiring when Israel traveled in the wilderness God spoke to Moses and ordered the construction of a special portable tent in which God would live among them the tent was called a tabernacle Whenever the people moved, God moved. God was with them in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Wherever they were, God was with them. Then they constructed an ark of covenant and plastered it with solid gold and the ark and and put it in the tabernacle, became objects of worship. But once they entered into that land of promise, People didn't show much love for the tabernacle. They were busy working their own land and had scattered to every part of the new land. The tabernacle vanished from among them. And in Joshua 1951, it tells us how the people divided the new land in its doorway. But it rarely mentions the tabernacle again. It's possible. It's possible. That people who once loved the Lord, loved the ministry of the church, got so busy with their private agendas that they had little time or little interest in the things of God. Once in a new land, people had work to do. They were industrious and were not interested in worshiping of a tent and an ark. Maybe, just maybe, their lack of interest was associated with the disappearance of the tabernacle altogether. The tabernacle of Moses represented people who hung on to God, who cling to God because it was hard times. It represented people who knew that God was with them through traveling of the 40 years in the desert. It represented a glorious worship with all its elaborate trappings, but a faith that was empty and void. Friends, we should not build a tabernacle for Moses, because Moses was only a representative. Moses was part of God's vision to get them from there to the promised land, on to Jesus, and on to where we are now. When Peter spoke the very word, the image of Moses disappeared. What about building a tabernacle for Elijah? Historically, Elijah was a prophet of the era of the temple of Solomon. He challenged King Ahab and Queen Jezebel to restore worship in the temple instead of what they had erected, a special temple to the god Baal, the god of culture, the god of agriculture. The Temple of Solomon was so grand and beautiful and expensive, people came to admire its craftsmanship and elegance. The Jewish people bragged about its beauty and its extravagance. Never had the world seen something so magnificently built. It was a beautiful building filled with people with less than pure motives. This temple that the people loved so much was built by Solomon but was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Rebuilt by Jerubabal after the exile, rebuilt again by King Herod, and was finally destroyed by the Romans in 70, 70 years after Jesus' death. Buildings can and will be destroyed. Ministries that are built on the past and the great bragging rights of the past will be destroyed. Those who set out to build a great work for the Lord should not do so because it would give them bragging rights in the city to build the biggest with with mega attendance or luxurious sanctuary or the best of all service ministries in the world dedicated to God and delivered by people in in the right clothes and with the right voice and professionally done. Ministries should be built On a dedicated service and gifts of people who want to see God's ministry flourish in their lives and in the world. Historically, each time people became absorbed with the building and they get absorbed with attendance and they get absorbed with the ministry that they're doing better than anybody else, it vanishes the tabernacle vanished, the temple vanished. And when Peter even thought to build a tabernacle to either Moses or Elijah, it vanished as well. Our work should be done to build ministries for Jesus. When we work in the kingdom of God, whatever we do should be done for Jesus. When we build whatever we build, we should not do it for what Moses did, We should not construct it for some great prophet that used to serve the church. We should not construct it because we want to build a better mousetrap. We should not construct it because we want to be known as a church with the same mega attendance with everybody else's church. When we build, we should not build it for Elijah or Solomon or construct a beautiful temple that gives us bragging rights in the community. When we build a ministry, we should do it in the name of Jesus Christ who went to carry for rich like you and me when we work in the name of Christ our work will not vanish like the tabernacles of old or suffer destruction like a temple of Solomon when we work for Jesus our work will last no matter how great no matter how small what you do for the Lord will live on in somebody's ministry, live on in somebody's heart and mind. Maybe that's what the songwriter had in mind when he said, You may build great buildings and cathedrals, large and small. You can build skyscrapers, grand and tall. You may conquer all the failures of the past, but only what you do for Jesus will last. When we work in the name of Jesus... Our enemies can no longer frighten us. When we work in the name of Jesus and for Jesus, storms can no longer disturb us. Burdens can no longer discourage us. Night can no longer torment us. Future can no longer scare us because of the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and no human government will outlast the kingdom of God. While we are building down here, we must also remember that we're working on another tabernacle. My great aunt Aline, who would make jackets like this, could not read her name if it was written on railroad boxcars. But she knew every word of the Bible. And she would consecrate us all the time. Son, you think you're going through hard times down here. Your faith will see you through. But you got to know something, boy. You didn't come here to stay. You are a passing stranger. And you're working on a building that's not made with human hands. You're working on a place and a space That's reserved for you and what you do down here would sow seeds in that final kingdom. For when the house of this earthly tabernacle is dissolved, we will have another building not made with human hands. I know. I don't know about you. But I'm working on a building, a new tabernacle. And I'm trying to send up timbers one by one. No wonder somebody wrote, I've got a new home over in glory and it's mine. It's mine. I declare it's mine. Family, I believe that this transfiguration event was set in that mountain in the clouds to remind us that there is life after life. It rifts the veil off the mystery of the shadow of death and reveals transfiguration or what happens to us when we're ushered into the eternal kingdom. The apostle explains the phenomenon by saying, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, our earthly bodies cannot deal with the heavenly climate that we are obviously on our way to. The air of heaven is too much for our bodies to handle. Our bodies were never meant to be a permanent place of existence anywhere They are temporarily placed here and now. They're only temporary homes for our soul. So Paul says, flesh and blood cannot inherit this kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you mystery. We shall not all fall asleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the dead in Christ shall rise and we shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We can't even imagine an instantaneous change like that. One minute, one minute we are flesh. The next minute we are transfigured into our heavenly, eternal belongings. And all this happened It's all going to happen, I believe, generally, when Christ returns. Quite a few years ago, there was a series of books on the bestseller list by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. The first book tried to paint a picture of what it would be like during the transfiguration. The book became known as the Left Behind series. And those who read the first book, scrambled for the subsequent book when it was released. Uh, let me pause right there and say for my young people, you know, it's like when you're binge watching on TV. You can't wait till the next episode comes to find out what's going to happen next. They, 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 they hung on to wait till the publishers would print the next book because they were desperate for answers to explain the mystery. The truth is... We can only imagine what it will be like when Christ handspicked the faithful saints from the fields and the graves to be caught up with him in the air. We see in the transfiguration of Jesus, those who know Jesus will experience instant transformation. The change will occur so swiftly that we won't have time to say goodbye. Jesus says that two women will be grinding at the meal together. One will be taken and the other will be left behind. One moment we will be going about our daily chores and the next moment we'll be standing in his glorious presence. One moment we will be struggling through life's challenges and the next moment we'll be inhabitants of our new resurrected bodies. We can't explain it. We can only believe it. So we see on this amazing Sunday, we build a ministry. If we build a ministry on past successes, it won't last. We see on this amazing Sunday that we cannot build a ministry using current reality or what's happening at Calvary right now. We build a ministry on where God is calling us to become. We build a ministry using the gifts that God has given us because we know that part of God's eternal kingdom is transformation and transfiguration to an eternal kingdom. And we can't explain it our finite limited minds. We don't have the answers. But there is one Thing in this best-selling book, the Bible. It's the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. The Bible makes the case for salvation as plain as day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. My brothers and sisters, every turn we need to understand that's our assignment. To get people to understand that Jesus came into the world so that everybody can have a relationship with God. So everybody can use their new gifts to build up the kingdom. That nobody goes to bed hopeless. That nobody feels like that shooting's uncalled campuses that shootings in public places will destroy our relationship with God. Everybody ought to be able to work together with God knowing that we have a future with hope. One day the eternal kingdom will be complete. One day the Lord shall return to claim his bride, the church. One day the last trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. We shall all be caught up to meet Christ air. one day we shall enter His strong room and cry, Holy, 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 God! One day, God shall wipe away all the tears. One day over yonder, at that great getting up morning, one day when the glory comes, it's promised to be ours. It's promised to be ours when weapons will be turned into plowshares. One day when the glory comes, we'll not have to endure senseless murders and senseless shootings. One day when the glory comes, we'll be able to, family to family, kingdom to kingdom, know that God is in the world and walk like God is walking with me. One day when the glory come, Jesus will crack the sky and we will inherit the kingdom that was so richly given in his life for us. One day the glory will come. Spirit of living God, thank you so much for our brother Jesus. And that powerful mountain expression You revealed to us, we can't go back. We can only learn from what happened in the past. We can't build a ministry on the foundation of what's happening now, because this current reality is not the reality of the future that you have for us. And oh God, we hold on. (laughs) Through the good times and the bad times, we hold on because we know we're just passing through the pilgrim.